you know, it depends on the, on the situation, but I think that a lot of people are like, oh no, I should be fine hearing these things because I do want to support my partner and I should, you know, hear about how great their date was. If it doesn't feel good to you to hear how great your partner's date was, then ask them not to tell you. It doesn't mean anything bad about yourself. It just means that you're being honest with your vulnerability and with your insecurities and avoiding and protecting yourself. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 298. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a wonderful conversation with Fernanda. Fernanda is a podcaster and relationship coach and has been exploring non-monogamy for a handful of years, and we have a great conversation with her around many things, but also touching on how she navigates a form of don't ask, don't tell dynamics with her partner. Yeah, as, as Emma said, the, they have a, a don't ask, don't tell dynamic because he's not exactly non-monogamous himself, even though I think that really does take a non-monogamous mindset to be able to be part of a non-monogamous partnership, but he's not out there exploring on his own. And yeah, as I said, we have some great conversations around how they've done that or how they do that and how they've built to that point. So Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful conversation and a huge amount of gratitude to Fernanda for coming on and sharing and to her partner, Seth, for supporting her and all that she does to trailblaze in the world of non-monogamy, which Emma mentioned, she's a podcaster. So she also hosts the Polycurious podcast and she's a relationship coach who helps and works with people who are exploring non-monogamy as well. Links are in the show notes. Yes. To find all of her information, yeah, links are in the show notes. We recommend checking out her Instagram. That is the best place to find her. Yes. And with that, we are going to jump into the interview for anybody who is a premium subscriber. And for all of those, all of you, all of those, all of all (laughs) All, of y'all, all of of y'all who are not, (laughs) we have a couple of fun, exciting, and spectacular announcements. Always. Yeah. Well, send us an email or voicemail. Let us know how spectacular they are. Maybe you don't want them to do that, actually. No, I do. <laughs> but only positive feedback. That's okay. all, we, all the negative feedback gets filtered into the spam folder. I see. I see. Not really, but... <laughs> Anyway, if you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to sign up and skip these announcements up front, support the podcast in the meantime, and don't worry, you still get important dates in the outro. You can sign up on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Scroll down on the homepage for as little as a couple bucks a year. And next up, we wanted to make sure you all are aware of the amazing community that Emma and I have built over the last handful of years, full of incredible people from around the world. There's almost 300 of them now who are in our community, supporting one another, cheering each other on, and just being all around amazing humans. That's true. And so to check out that, you go over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You already, you scrolled down to sign up for the premium. (laughs) Now you got to scroll back up and you click on the community tab and you will find a button there to learn a little bit more and fill out the application. It is a couple of bucks a month and it is just our favorite way to really, I don't know, 
show up and find community in this space. To be specific, it's $5 a month and you get access to our online community, as Finn said, along with Q- monthly Q&As, monthly men's groups and women groups calls, and just ongoing support. Exactly. To be specific. Yes. I was be- I was trying to be specific. And I was trying to be general for once in my life. <laughs> and, and I know now not to do that. <laughs> uh, well, I thought we, the community is $5 a month. So I figured it is. we can just say that. It is. You are right. Anyway, you are specifically correct. (laughs) Within our community, you can also sign up and join our weekly support group. So this is another tier uh, additional cost within the community. However, you get a weekly support call, a 90 minute call with a group of 10 people. And we're just launching these more of these. Finn has been doing a men's group, weekly men's group call for a few months or actually since last October. So a long time now. And it's gone really well. And I've launched a weekly women's group and we're launching some other groups, like other additional weekly groups as well. We would love for you to come check them out and join us. Uh, all the information, again, on our website under the community tab, you can look and there's a weekly groups tab right there. There is. And I would just say, the we I got some feedback last week during uh, my weekly men's group call. And one of the people in there said, you know, you could charge $250 a month and I would still do this because this is such a supportive, amazing group. We do not charge $250. But just know that that's the value that you could be getting. Yes. All right. Yes. The last thing we wanted to tell you about is our favorite way to get tested for STIs. If, uh uh-oh, Emma's got a finger up. STDcheck.com. Oh, she just wanted to prove that she can say it at a speed in which your ears as a human can hear it. Correct. And process it. Correct. All right. Anyway, keep talking. You nailed it. So that service (laughs) that Emma and I use to get tested for STIs and that we know many of you use as well and love is STDcheck.com. It is fast. It is easy. It is amazing we've said amazing a lot it's discreet that's a better that's a better one we've said amazing a lot because (laughs) a lot of this is amazing but anyway it is also affordable at 129 dollars when you use the links in the podcast show notes you save ten dollars bringing it down to 129 dollars which i already said and for a 10 panel test for a 10 panel test and that also helps support the podcast so we would highly encourage you to if you are out there meeting people and you think perhaps you might be getting naked or, you know, doing the activities. <laughs> All of the activities. All of the activities. Any activity that you might do that you would want to know somebody else's sexual health status, you should know yours. And then you can talk about it and then you can have a great time. Yes. To find out more about that, head over to our website. Again, you're already there signing up for the community and the premium subscription. And you click on the resources tab and you will find links there as well or in your podcast player. And with that... Let's jump into, wait, we actually. Uh, one more thing. You're going to interrupt yourself. Now. I'm going to interrupt myself. <laughs> a quick reminder to reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or just have any feedback for us or have any questions, again, reach out to us. And now with that, since I interrupted myself, yep. let's go and talk to Fernanda. Let's go. <laughs> I so, we switched, so we, my line. We switched roles. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's go for real. We're both switches. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) comment. Let's go for real. Welcome to the podcast, Fernanda. We're excited to talk to you today and dive in and hear more about your story. So thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you guys. Excited as well. Uh, yeah. Back when I listened to your podcast years ago, I had no idea that I would end up starting my own podcast and now being on your podcast. So it feels, uh, yeah, it feels great to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. We're excited to, to dig in and talk more about your show. And we were actually, before we hit record, we were talking about just all of the new shows that keep popping up and how exciting it is to have more visibility and, and people talking about it. So we're excited to hear about it. Yeah. We'd love for you to just start by introducing yourself and at whatever level you're comfortable with and including your podcast as well. Sure. So, well, as you guys said, I'm Fernanda for, for short. Um, and yeah, I'm a podcaster and a relationship coach. I, uh, outside of Polycurious, which is, uh, the non-monogamy, non-monogamy podcast, I also work in podcasting as a produce, producer. I'm originally from Mexico. I'm based in Brooklyn, New York right now. And I guess relevant to this podcast, uh, you know, I'm in an open relationship uh, where interestingly, my partner is not uh, open at this moment in time, but I'm sure we'll get to talk about about that. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. And And so maybe just take us back in time to when, when did non-monogamy or being exploring open relationships or even alternative relationship styles, when did that come into sort of your life and your world? Uh, well, I think as soon as I arrived to New York, uh, I was lucky enough that I met someone at the airport, actually. He wasn't open himself, but he was connected to the Burning Man community. And we shared a cab, and then I lost my wallet. Uh, so I, like, called him up, uh, and then we just became friends and eventually actually uh we were together uh months later but at that point he was the one who kind of took me to burner parties and festivals and things and then through him i met a couple that uh just had a really good healthy relationship and were doing the open thing and i had never seen it done in a healthy way or even considered that you can do it. And that doesn't mean that you are not in love with your partner. I think that like many of us, I had an idea of, you know, if you really love someone, you don't want anyone else. Um, and what I've come to realize is that it's true that there's a period at the beginning when that often happens, but in general, after, you know, a few months or a year, um, it's normal to want for a lot of people, not for everyone, but to want new experiences and want to meet new people. And for me, I think that aspect of, uh, new, having the opportunity to have new connections is one of the things that I'm most, um, excited about when it comes to non-monogamy. But yeah, at that point, uh, those people became my really good friends and I was kind of the single friend in the non-monogamy, non-monogamous group. And, you know, I went to my first play party through them and, and all of this, but I was mostly, uh, non-monogamous and uh, sorry, I was mostly monogamous, but I was, I guess at that point, I guess I was solo poly because I was interested in non-monogamy, hanging out with people who were non-monogamous, but I was, I didn't have any, um, stable partners. Then that person that I met at the airport and I started seeing each other um, more seriously and he wasn't really okay with me being open. So, you know, eventually we ended up breaking up the relationship 
because of that. Uh, and then I just kind of went wild and uh, experimented and explored a lot. And uh, it wasn't until that was, um, I mean, I arrived to New York 2016 and it wasn't until almost five years ago that I, um, that I encountered someone, I met my partner at Burning Man and that I was like, okay, you know what? I don't just want to be friends with benefits with you, which is kind of the, what I was doing with most of mm-hmm. the people that I was seeing. I actually want to have a relationship with you because you're so great. Mm-hmm. And that's the partner that, you know, I'm with to this day. And yeah, he was from the beginning, very open about it, even though he, um, he, he was like, I have no interest in this, but, uh, you, you know, I wanted to make this work for you. So we kind of started figuring out how that might look like and started like really, really, um, with small, but incremental steps and, and, you know, to the point where now where I have a lot more freedom than at the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, so you, you said that when you landed in Brooklyn, you met somebody basically at the airport who was sort of talking about non-monogamy, but when you sort of jumped in with them, they weren't actually, they, it sounds like they weren't actually okay with you being non-monogamous. They were sort of doing it for them, but not for you. Did I catch that right? He, he wasn't doing it. He was just in the burner community. So ah, through it. him, I met people who were doing it. Got it. But got it. Yeah, he he's always been more monogamous. Makes and, sense. And was that your first exposure then to different relationship styles? Yeah, I mean, I knew of the concept, but it was the first time that I saw it in practice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so it sounds like in the last few years, you and and this your current partner have sort of, even though you had experience and you had been in the community, this is really your first your first go at, at crafting an open relationship collaboratively collaboratively with a partner. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, yeah, I had experience kind of doing my own thing, but this is the first time that I'm doing it more seriously with, with someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I think it's, it's, it's fun for me. And I think, cause we, you know, we have our own journey where we, we all start in one place and we go through different steps and it sounds like yours was a bit of um, some self-exploration, being part of a non-monogamous group of friends, but sort of doing it on your own, maybe going to play parties and, and exploring in that way before sort of coming into a partnership where you're then crafting it in that way. And it's it's sort of two very different but similar paths. And I'm, I'm curious what maybe that transition was like from I'm doing this on my own, sort of a solo poly, to now I have to do this and co-create with somebody else. Yeah, honestly, uh, it wasn't easy. Uh, I mean, I was very um, impressed by uh, Seth, uh, Seth is my partner sets communication skills and opening uh, openness to it. And I was just f- feeling like very grateful that he was open to me exploring, even though he didn't want to explore. And I was also, you know, falling in love with him. I'm very much like enjoying my relationship with him, but we were also long distance at the time. And, you know, when he asked me, he literally asked me if I, if I wanted to be his girlfriend, I was like, Oh yeah, sure. Because, you know, I, 
I love him already and, and everything was going great. And then, and then afterwards I was like, wait, does this mean that I cannot have sex anymore with like my friends back in New York? And he was like, yeah, that's what, that's exactly what that means. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, well, okay, fine. You know, I'm going to commit to you for now. And I know that you are open to opening up, but then it was like, we were long distance and I, I wanted those sexual connections that I already had with my friends. And, and then we decided to, that our first step into opening to the degree that I wanted would be for me to go to play parties. Uh, so it was okay with me doing that because it felt less personal. So it was like, okay, you can go to play parties once a month. But the thing is that I'm not really like, I don't love play parties. I'm not really like, I'm not non-monogamous for that reason. I'm not open to go to play parties uh, or for, you know, definitely the sexual aspect is big for me, but it's a lot more about the individual connections with people. Um, and so I would find myself kind of going to these play parties being like, okay, this is my one and only chance to have sex, you know, and that's not the best attitude. And then I would like, not, I wouldn't always have sex, but then I would sometimes maybe do things that I didn't necessarily want because I was like, Oh, uh, this is my one and only chance. Or I would just, yeah, I would just not have the best time and then feel disappointed because I was like, Oh, well that was my chance and I didn't do much. So, you know, so Um, I, I had like one particular experience. It wasn't anything like terrible, but like one experience where I was like, I should have, have not been in the situation that I was. And then I, I talked to Seth and I was like, Hey babe, like I, I wouldn't go into details because a rule that we've always had. And to this day is a don't ask, don't tell dynamic, which can be controversial for some people, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a believer that it can totally work and that it sometimes is better and people just push themselves to know because they feel like they should be able to handle it when it's okay if you don't want to hear certain things. But um, I didn't give him any details of what happened, but I was like, listen, I'm not feeling like this is what I want. Can I instead go back to what I was doing, which was just having sex with my friends, you know, like, or, or like, I mean, not with everyone, but I had like maybe one or two people that I was mm-hmm. seeing before. Mm-hmm. And, and he agreed to that because you know, like I was like, listen, like I already experienced them and I didn't like pick them as my boyfriends. So it felt safe for him. Cause it was like, okay, well she already had a friendship with them and is not as threatening as someone new. Right. So mm-hmm. then we transitioned into that. Uh, but I didn't have many opportunities to do that before he moved to New York from San Francisco and then kind of the pandemic started soon after that. So, uh, we were like mostly monogamous with the exception of, of like a couple of parties here and there and a couple of like meetups with, with my friends here and there, uh, until, you know, we were like that for two years and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was only after things started opening up, uh, that, that we, uh, started to actually, uh, that I started to actually, date people and 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 it started more with like i would i mean still to this day i go to festivals on my own um said is almost 10 years older than me so you know we're in different and has a different personality we're in different stages of life so i would go to festivals and then he'd be like okay you can do whatever you want and that's how it started and then eventually he became more comfortable with me dating but then it was like okay you can date but only 
once a month and then it became okay only once every couple of weeks so it was very gradual but it was definitely a little bumpy at the beginning because I was like oh it's been so long and all I want is to be able to like go on a date not in a sexual way necessarily yes have sex but like I want to be able to just go have dinner and like have sex and it was like no you can't do it but like only play parties, only festivals, only people that you've met with before and only sexually. And all of these restrictions that I was like, oh, like, can we just get there already, you know? But um, I'm so glad we did it that way. And and that's what I also share in the podcast. Um, because if we had rushed, Seth would have probably gotten hurt. Uh, and it's not like it was easy for him. Like he, I mean, I think that now he doesn't, I mean, he's told me now he doesn't really experience jealousy, but back then, like, you know, he had to put himself through, through difficult moments while I was out, even if it was at a play party. Um, but you know, if, if we had gone too fast, it wouldn't have felt good for him. It would, he would have been hurt. And then at the end it would have like, made things more difficult down the line. So I'm so glad we actually took our time mm -hmm. to arrive to the place where, where we're at today. Which is also hard because you're, you're simultaneously feeling like maybe you're going too slow and he feels like you're going too fast. And so finding an equilibrium where both people can feel like they're, they're being heard and their needs are being met. Maybe it's not 100%, but enough to keep doing it and to keep growing together. That's a, that's a tough balance to find. That's exactly what was happening. You know, I felt like we were going too slow. He felt like we were going too fast, but we were always able to find the balance. And I'm really grateful for that, um, uh, for the like communication that, mm -hmm. that we have is so strong. And, and I, I know, I mean, also as a coach now coaching couples through it, I know how hard it can be for people to, just come to an agreement and like understand that they have to sacrifice a little bit of their wants and the other person also needs to do the same to meet in the middle. And that's sometimes hard to accept for people, but we, I, I was lucky enough that, uh, you know, we were both open to open to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you summarize a little bit like what your relationship dynamic is then today? Where did you reach? Where have you read? Like, and also recognizing that it could change again in the future. Like it's, you know, this is not one, one, this is a snapshot, I guess. Yes, for sure. Uh, it's definitely a snapshot, but I also do think that we kind of reached the place where I wanted, which as I mentioned before, it's basically just going on a date every once in a while. Um, my relationships haven't been like, I've never had a partner, which is why I don't call myself polyamorous. I've dated a handful of people in the past two, three years. And most relationships have kind of fizzled out after maybe three months, four months, you know, like a few months. Uh, they, I don't think any of them have lasted more like I even just half a year. Um, and even then I would see them like once every couple of weeks or, you know, not very, very often. I did have one relationship that was starting to get a little bit more serious, which was like the, the most recent one, which happened like last year. And with him, I was kind of seeing him like once a week, maybe twice a week, but it just, it didn't last long. Um, because things like didn't end really well with him. And then that actually kind of put things into perspective for me because 
um, I mean, he just, you know, he is also new in the, uh, the person I was saying is also new in this world. I mean, he's not even really in this world, um, as much and, you know, he has his issues to deal with and, um, you know, I don't necessarily blame him, but he wasn't very considered of my feelings. Uh, then he started seeing someone and then someone else, which I was like happy for him. But the way that he handled the situation made me really uncomfortable. Um, uh, yeah. And I've had this experience before, like dating single guys. And then the moment they find someone else it's not like, I mind that they find found someone else. I'm often like happy for them. Even if I'm a little disappointed that maybe we cannot hang out as much anymore, but the way they handle it is like, they stop treating me even as a friend or, mm-hmm. you know, as as someone that they care for, even if they don't care for sexually anymore or, Mm -hmm. uh, romantically anymore. And, and, you know, after that last experience that I had, and it hasn't been with everyone. I've had other partners who I'm still, or not partners, but people I've dated that I'm still friends with Mm -hmm. and that have been great. But after that experience, I was like, wow, I, I spent so much like time and energy into this person and I even got to a point which hadn't really happened to my, in my relationship where I said was like, okay, okay, you are like putting too much energy on him and I need you to kind of, um, prioritize our relationship more. So we even had that conversation, which hadn't happened before. And then I did all of that for then someone who didn't really value me as a person. Right. So I think that experience really like put things into perspective for me and made me realize that, Um, I want to be more careful with who I date and, uh, how much time and energy I'm putting into that because I already have a partner that fulfills so many parts of, of myself. And, um, I, I, I like having someone else also because the type of sex that I like to have sometimes is different from my partners. My, my partner and I have a great relationship, but, um, you know, our sex is like more vanilla, right? So I, I, I do like to explore that aspect sexually. I do like to be with people who are maybe, uh, a little bit more adventurous, not only sexually, but in other aspects. So, you know, like my, my partner likes to say, and he's more of an introvert. So like, I often gravitate to people who are like more of an extrovert and like that can go out with me to a party or things like that. I mean, my partner also comes out, but, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's, um, it does fulfill that side of myself, but then, you know, is that worth it? Like just to have like fun sex and take someone to a party every once in a while, is it worth the herd and the communication and all of the process? So after that experience, I've been like, I've had small experiences here and there. Um, interestingly, that person that I met at the airport, the, when I arrived in New York, uh, basically my ex, cause we were together for like six months, like six years ago, uh, him and I reconnected for a, for a little bit. Um, but you know, that was someone that felt safe that I already knew. And then I had like a couple of ex- other experiences, ra- like kind of randomly, but I'm not, I'm not dating actively at the moment. Like right now I'm not seeing anyone. Uh, and it has been for like, it has been like that for like about half a year or something because, Um, that's not where I want to be putting my energies right now. (laughs) Yeah. We only have so much bandwidth and energy and we have to decide what to, where to put it and what to do with it. Yeah. Well, one thing I'd love to to talk a little bit about Fernanda is 
So you, the way you're sort of describing relationships, and I'm, I guess, using that in the broadest term, right? Even like even somebody who's just a friend, right? That's a relationship or, or a friendship. And so it's what I think is really interesting about it is you, it sounds like you have a lot of, you said like friends or friends with benefits or maybe sex friends, but it's, and you said like, well, I don't really like going to just go to a party just for sex, but that maybe it's, and I'm sort of taking a guess here that it's, you like to like the experience of go on a date, be able to connect, learn a little bit about this person, feel like there's something, maybe have sex, maybe not. But if you do, maybe you see that person every other week or every couple of weeks or maybe even weekly, but that to you is not necessarily a partner in the same sense that, that Seth is. And yet there's still, and it seems almost like you've, you've approached it differently than a lot of the other people who you found where they, they find somebody else and then they kind of cast you aside. Whereas maybe you find somebody else and you still treat them as if they were your friend because you don't have those things as mutually exclusive, right? You're not, if, if I'm not having sex with you in this moment, you're no longer a friend. You, you can kind of be in both worlds at the same time. And I don't know if the, the exact question in there is just maybe talking a little bit about what friends with benefits or what the whole sort of vibe you kind of look for is because it's, I think it's common, but it's also a really hard thing to like put a label on and it. And it's almost more of a conversation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that for me, I mean, I must say that if I'm dating someone, I definitely do want to have sex with them, but mm-hmm. Um, if I'm dating someone, I, I also like them and appreciate them as people. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, it's easy to kind of not see them, not objectify them as like a sexual, Mm -hmm. uh, being, um, because of the way I view relationships, um, because for me, um, there's no clear definition, like distinction between, I mean, there's a distinction, but I don't necessarily follow those like, uh, okay, this is romantic, this is mm-hmm. friendship, this is sexual, mm-hmm. and putting th- people in boxes and categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm comfortable with the gray areas, with n- being aware that this is a little bit romantic and a little bit sexual, but also friendly, or there are people that I'm more friendly with. But but to me, I'm like, okay, they can be my friends, I don't need the romance, which sometimes I do have, but I've also been with people that I'm like, okay, there are great people to hang out with. I like laugh a lot with them. Like they're really fun and we have good sex. I feel no romantic feelings for them. And I would still go ahead and date them because to me, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not putting romance and sex in the same, mm-hmm. in the same category or, or in the same, like I don't need both, both. I don't need romance to have sex, and mm-hmm. that's rare. I think I've noticed that most people, uh, even if they're poly or open, they kind of want the romance in order for them to have sex. And for me, I am able to be like, okay, well, there's physical pleasure, and there's friendship, and then there's this other thing, and they can all kind of mix together, or I can keep them separate and be be with people with for different reasons. Um, but I think that the reason why it's been hard for some of the people that I've dated to kind of hold all those truths together, um, is because 
they are men and you know women are objectified as sexual objects and often even if they are well intentioned often they 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 can't comprehend how if they're not having sex with me anymore and if they're seeing someone else how you know i'm not an object and how they can communicate with me and can communicate with the person that they're seeing. And just, uh, even if they decide to stop seeing me, just having better communication. I, I find that in general, I don't, I don't want to like gener- generalize too much. I'm sure many like men out there don't objectified women, but you know, it's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a uh, too controversial to say that that's the case. Um, yeah. And I think that also, uh, in general, women are better communicators because we're socialized to talk about our feelings more. And like men are socialized to man up and boys don't cry and all of these things. Right. So I think that men, it sometimes don't even have the language to, mm-hmm. to say, Hey, I'm, I'm seeing other, someone else. It's been long, lovely to hang out with you, but I'm, f- I'm going to focus on this monogamous relationship and then still answer my texts, even if they're friendly, um, you know, and still communicate that maybe to the other person. Hey, I was seeing this, this person. So, but in their head it's just, they just can't handle it. So then like, if we're both at the, at the same party, oh my God, they freak out. You know what I mean? They just, yeah. they have a really hard time, which is unfortunate, but I think that that has also made me want to prioritize dating people who are in this world and already have developed that language and, and communication skills, um, or people who already have partners. Right. So, so again, so they already know how to, how to handle this, because as much as I love to educate people about this on my podcast and as a coach, I'm coaching people to, to open up and how to do this. I don't necessarily want to be going through it with someone I just met, uh, Mm -hmm. to then, break up with them and then just have wasted quote unquote my time yeah. and energy for someone who didn't appreciate me or didn't know how to handle the situation, you know? Yeah. For sure. Cause it can be exhausting. <laughs> it's a lot of work and I don't think I realized how much, and, and like to this day, it's like, it almost feels like, it almost feels like alcohol or drugs or something. It's like, it feels so good to go on a date. It feels so good to have sex with other people. It feels like that feels good, but is it good for you? Like it's good for, it feels for you. It feels good for you in the moment, but is it good for you long term? And that's, you know, uh, a question for each person to answer. Right. I think for me, it feels good in the moment, but I found that in the long term, it doesn't feel that great. But I, I wouldn't say that I'm monogamous now because of that. Like I want to continue to like I want to be open to finding someone who feels good in the moment and feels good afterwards, even if my relationship ends. And yeah. I think that I've I've had experiences that have been that way, but I've also had many that haven't. So I'm a lot more selective and I don't think that I knew this when I started this yeah. journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and just to kind of go back to what you were saying originally, you've, you were able to decouple romance and sex and friendship and sex and even friendship and romance, all of those sort of, they maybe overlap at times, but you don't need one for the other, but it, or maybe you didn't need romance for sex, but it sounds like you do need at least a base level friendship 
for yeah. for that because it's mm-hmm. that, it, that was sort of what stood out to me was, you know, going to a party and having anonymous sex. Sure, that can be exhilarating and fun, but it sounds like for you, there's a little bit more needed, at least to be able to laugh, feel comfortable, joke around. But that doesn't necessarily put you on the relationship escalator to, well, hey, we had a great date and we laughed and had fun. So the next step is we probably uh, move in together and you don't you don't immediately jump on that. You can you can almost keep it as like, hey, we're really cool friends who care about each other. We see each other periodically. We have great sex but we're not necessarily falling in love or we're not developing deeper connection. It's we're able to sort of keep it in the bubble that it's sort of in and let it, let it be there. Yeah. I think it's a case by case scenario. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that having communication about that can be tricky because Mm -hmm. I've had people that I've dated that I'm like, I only see you as a friend and you know, and then that wouldn't prevent them from catching feelings for me. Right. Right. And then I have people who I'm like feeling like I have romantic feelings for, and then I feel like, okay, well maybe I want to have a conversation and see how they, Mm -hmm. they feel about, uh, but I would say that I don't necessarily need to have like full on friendship with someone. Like, um, you know, like if I meet someone at a party and a one night stand feels right, which I haven't done in ages, but you know, I'm still open to that and just have sex with them and probably never see them again. I'm okay with that. But, but I would never like not respond a text Mm -hmm. or, um, say one thing and do another thing. So it's more like respect, you know, for the other person and, and good communication has to be there. Like, even if, it's just one night stand. Just say, Hey, it was great meeting you, but I don't, I have no interest in, in, say, in seeing you again or however you want to say it. Even if you want to sugarcoat it a little bit, like I'm really mm-hmm. good at that. Uh, and I think that's what people are not good about because they don't have the tools. And that's why I yep. started the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have the tools. The b- basic human decency, right? You, you don't, you don't have to ghost everybody just cause you don't want to see him again. Yeah, exactly. And just communicate. Okay. I, I, this is like, actually that, I think that's a good framework. Like if, you know, for people are there out there who are listening, I think that if you feel any uncertainty in your relationships and you feel like you want to have a conversation, maybe think about that. Like, is this romantic? Is this friendship or is this, uh, sexual? Right. And, and then be very open. Like, honestly, I love the relationship that we have, but I only want to have sex or honestly, I'm, I'm developing feelings for you. How do you feel about that? Or, or honestly, I just want to be friends, um, with sex or without sex. Right. So those are conversations that nuances that we don't really talk about normally. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I, I, I love that you said that because I think that's a really powerful tool. I think especially early on when maybe you're starting to communicate with somebody to to put out there, like, here's what my bandwidth is, right? I'm, I work seven days a week, 12 hours a day, so I don't have a ton of bandwidth or, hey, I have a ton of bandwidth. And just letting the person know, here's what I'm sort of showing up for. And, and as it evolves, like, hey, I know we started and when we started, we said these things, but now I'm feeling these things. How do you feel? Where do you want this to go? And I think so much of what we get taught is, well, that's the exciting part is I don't know what it is. And we're just going to like, let it, let it develop and see. But I think in, in a world, 
And and I don't know that I would even say this is a monogamous versus a non-monogamous thing, but I think in a monogamy, having those explicit conversations is really helpful to sort of know what you're doing and know how you're doing. It's setting the expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it can be hard because, I mean, it probably doesn't feel great to hear, hey, I only want you for sex or, hey, I only want you for friendship or even, hey, I'm feel- I, have- I have feelings for you. If you don't reciprocate, it might not feel great because you're like, oh, no, I didn't want any like romantic feelings and now mm-hmm. this is happening. But I think it's really important to kind of check in and see, like, where's the other person at? Because that's how things end up going wrong. Yeah, you're set up for hurt. Well, I, I would doing that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would offer that like maybe that conversation doesn't feel great, but what's the alternative is you're developing feelings and maybe I'm not, and we're, we're going down two very different paths, but we don't know it. And then three months later, you're like, Oh, actually, no, I don't have those same feelings. And you're like, well, that would have been nice to know three months ago before I spent the last three months falling for you and all you wanted was sex, right? Like it, it maybe doesn't feel good, but it probably feels less shitty on week one than week 25 when you've invested a whole bunch of yeah because you'll find out eventually and even (laughs) if and even if that's the case hey i have feelings for you and and the other person is i I, again i was in this situation Mm -hmm. like i didn't have feelings for this person i only saw him as a friend and i I, and i enjoyed our, our sexual connection and that's a conversation we had so we didn't like break things off because of that, but he knew that. Mm-hmm. So then he can, he could also like set his boundaries and, and I still don't think that was ideal. Uh, actually, the reason why we <laughs> broke up is because I was like, I knew about his feelings for me, but it started to become a little overwhelming. I, I started to feel a little responsible for him. So that's why we broke things off, but we were able to like maintain it for a while and it was good. And, 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 if maybe he had um, been like, okay, well, she doesn't have, she doesn't want this, maybe, uh, and put some like a little bit more like of a barrier between mm-hmm. us or like a, with his romantic feelings, it could have worked. So it doesn't even if you get, if you're not on the same page, it doesn't mean that you have to break up. But at least you know like mm-hmm. where the other, other other person stands and like how to adjust. Yep. So just so you're protecting yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. I love that point. Yeah. You don't just because there's an imbalance and maybe interest or feelings that you don't have to just say, well, we want different things. We have to go separate ways. Cause yeah, like you said, he could have been like, Hey, I'm totally cool swimming in that pool with you. I don't need to go and get these other things with you. Like, yeah, you don't, it's part of being able to create your own path as you do this, but yeah, and that's that's kind of the conversation. It was like, mm-hmm. okay, I know I do have feelings, but, and you don't, but you know, I'm down to have sex and be friends. And mm-hmm. even if I do have these feelings, although I must say, say there's a caveat there, which is, um, and this is something that took me a while to learn. You cannot always trust what people tell you because <laughs> they might tell you, no, totally fine. You know, like this has happened to me a couple of times, like, no, totally fine. You don't want anything serious. No problem. And then down the line, you do something and then they get hurt because they, they were attached to you in a way that you never consented, but they told you that they weren't right. So, Mm -hmm. so, you know, you of course want to trust the person that you're seeing, but you also shouldn't ignore the red flags. Again, the person that I, that Mm -hmm. this example, I ended up breaking up with him because not because 
he said, oh, I can't handle these feelings, but just because I noticed, okay, no, he, even though he understands it here and understands that romance is not in the, uh, in the cards for us, he still hopes, hopes that it will happen maybe Mm -hmm. even unconsciously. And therefore, even if he's not telling me we need to break this off, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Right. So sometimes you also need to like read people and see where they're at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. One one of the things you brought up earlier was around the controversy of the don't ask, don't tell. And mm-hmm. and I'm, I would love to revisit that because we we have this come up periodically on the show. And it's I think it's always a great conversation to have because everybody does a little different. And I and I understand where the controversy comes from, but I also understand how it can work. And I'd I'd love to hear a little more about how the two of you have navigated that. And it sounds like it's been an evolving sort of thing it hasn't been a static like this is how we do it and that's how we always do it yeah well i mean it's been evolving a little bit like i now well actually i i guess quite a bit like now i'm sometimes even there's been instances where i've even shared with said hey i'm hurt by this thing that happened with this other person um but it's always like a little tricky because I know that his preference is not to hear. So at the beginning it was pretty hard because I felt um, like I felt guilty. I felt like I was doing something wrong because he asked not to know. So then if I had feelings for, for other people, I was like, Oh, I'm, I shouldn't be having these feelings and I cannot tell him. So I must be doing something wrong. I felt like I was hiding. And then I eventually realized that, well, first of all, that those feelings most likely are fleeting, like new relationship energy we've we've all heard, heard about. So maybe don't put so much importance on those feelings. They probably will go a- away. And then second of all, if if we if you are in an Donazontel dynamic, it's okay for you not to share that you have those feelings, you know? I, and sometimes the the person that you're in dynamic in that dynamic says like I don't want you to be romantic with someone and that's when it gets complicated right because how how can you control that right like if someone tells you oh uh, you can only have sex but but no romance and then you start feeling feeling that like that's not something that you can control which is why I always say to people like you can say, I don't want you to have a partner or I don't want you to see this person this many times a week, or I don't want you to, um, go visit their families or, uh, whatever the boundary is, but you can't say, I, I, I don't allow you to fall in love with someone else, but you can have sex because you can't control that. Right. Uh, so I, 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 I was feeling those, that guilt. Um, and it took me a while to just be like, okay, you know what? I have other people I can tell that how I'm feeling. I have friends. So, you know, and I'm not doing anything wrong because this is our agreement. Uh, but for a long time, I felt really guilty about that. I think that it took me like two or three people to be like fine with it. And I did have one conversation with said ones that I, I was like, listen, I'm not saying it's happening right now, but like, I'm feeling like I might be, I I might fall in love with someone at some point. Right. And, uh, even though we have that don't ask, don't tell dynamic, uh, it was something that was like weighing on me. But then after we had that conversation, now it just feels like very, 
like I'm not afraid anymore of falling in love with someone and, and he's not afraid of it anymore. Like we just know that we'll communicate about it, but in terms of, um, you know, more like practical aspects, the, the way that like we work is, you know, I do tell him who I'm going out with. If he knows that person, if he doesn't know that person, I just say, Hey, I want to go out with this guy I met at this party or whatever it is. Um, and you know, I do ask for permission. Like I do, like, I do say like, is that, is that okay with you? Um, and then he's like, yeah. And then I go and then I come back and then we don't talk about it. Like as if it hadn't happened, I might say, um, Oh, I, like we went to this really nice restaurant. We should go and try it out or we watched this movie and it was great. I think you would like it or something like that, but I'm not going to be like, Oh my God, the date was amazing. And you know, we had amazing sex and you know, we just kind of pretend that it didn't happen, which can feel a little weird, but it's actually good because, um, he's, he, he doesn't have to expose himself to those, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe uncomfortable feelings. It's also not super relevant. It, you know, also because he is not non-monogamous, right? Like, I think that his stance has always been, you can do this and I'll support you through it, but I kind of want it separate from our our life. Um, so, you know, like one rule that we have is that even if he's not around, like I can't bring people home. Um, so, you know, it depends on the on the situation, but I think that a lot of people are like, oh no, I should be fine hearing these things because I do want to support my partner and I should, um, you know, hear about how great their date was. If it doesn't feel good to you to hear how great your partner's date was, then ask them not to tell you. It doesn't mean anything bad about yourself. It just means that you're being honest with your vulnerability and with your insecurities and avoiding and protecting yourself. Of course, like important things must be said, right? Like, um, you know, I I do say like, Hey, I want to have sex with this person or things like that, that whatever you determine is important. There are Mm -hmm. things that like need to be said, but like the details, I don't think that it's necessary. And, and unless it turns you on, unless that's Mm -hmm. like your Mm -hmm. kink. Right. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I I was curious because, and I think that the, the way you described that was actually really helpful because we've had, so we've had some people on the show, uh, one one person in particular, I remember the conversation was around them having a don't ask, don't tell. And what would happen is their their don't ask, don't tell would be, um, you know, in your case, Fernanda, you're going out to meet somebody on a date, but you can't even tell Seth that. So he has to, you basically have to somehow figure out how to go out on a date, come home from the date and have him never know that you went on a date at all. Because and so this person would would get into these situations where well they're having to lie yeah they were lying all the time they would come home from work and maybe they stopped and saw somebody on the way home from work and had a good time and they get home and their their wife would be like well how was your day what'd you do today and they're like mm, I went to work and I came home and they and then they would have to start lying but they're also two people who really enjoy sharing about their life and so he was always having to find ways to obfuscate and lie about what he was doing to not hurt her. And, and so it seems like you have a little bit more like we just keep some of the very graphic details out of the conversation. Yeah. Or even, even the basic details, mm-hmm. even like I sometimes don't tell him like what the name is only if it yeah. starts becoming serious or like, or even what we did, yep. you know, like where yep. we went or it's just as if never, ha- if it never happened, but I do tell him, 
if I'm I'm going on a date, I yeah. wouldn't just like go on a date and you know expect that he would never find out. Yeah, I can imagine that that would <laughs> that would be so difficult and just would cause for uh, would set you up to lie to your partner, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Which is a challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I. I'm curious, what has your experience been with telling people uh, about your relationship style and who have you shared that with? Of course, some friends since you have that support network, but I was just curious what your experience was. Yeah, you know, I was very hesitant before starting the podcast. I I, I still, you know, went ahead and did it and I'm pretty open about my experience in the podcast, but um um, I don't know. I, 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 it's honestly, because I, I'm in a position of privilege. Um, I, you know, I'm in Brooklyn, like the hotspot for no, probably Brooklyn and San Francisco mm-hmm. are probably the, the hotspots of non-monogamy I'm assuming. Um, you know, in the burner community, very open-minded. So I, I have not really received judgment at least like to my face. Right. And, uh, the I've, uh, there's people I've shared this with, especially because that is monogamous, but more like people within my family, um, that just don't understand it. I haven't shared it with my dad, but I shared it with my mom, my sister, my cousin, um, mostly people from my mom's side of the family, which I'm closer with. And they're just like, really like, like they, they, I mean, I think that like, I would like to think that now they understand. Um, but they're like, whenever I'm like, Oh, you know, I met this new person. I'm like having feelings, whatever. They're like, but like, are you sure this is like, okay with Seth? And like, uh, you know, make sure that this doesn't like interfere with your relationship. And, and are you sure he's not doing it just because, uh, he doesn't want to lose you and that's what you want, but he actually doesn't want it. So I've, I've gotten that, but I think that like, it's not necessarily judgment per se. It's just, um, lack of knowledge about how these things work and lack of experience. So I understand it and I explain it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I'm not open about it in my like nine to five job. Um, but I, even there, I, you know, I just don't, I just wouldn't want them to listen to the podcast and kind of hear like details about my sexual life. Cause you know, I want to be professional. <laughs> um, but even then I don't, I don't know how, how much they would judge. I think that like mostly people in my circle, oh, people in my circle, um, are open about it, like are interested and, and welcoming. And, and I'm, I'm re- very lucky, uh, for that. Also, my family is not religious, uh, or, you know, or just conservative in general. So I've always grown up with a lot of freedom and, and, um, I think that has allowed me to be very open about my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. And, and I think at the end of the day, like we can share as much as we want to share it and we're still entitled to some privacy too. Like, you know, we don't have to share, we don't need everyone to listen to it talk about our sex life or hear about our sex life unless we want to and there's nothing wrong with that either but it's all at your level of discretion and yeah. what you want yeah talking about sharing i'm curious about about you guys uh it's been a while since i listened to the podcast so i'm not i'm not really sure like what your dynamic is like um yeah so i'm just curious yeah the the the, the one minute high level version is we're 
polyamorous at, at this point, and we both have other one other long-term partner that has sort of started as a, a closed poly quad. And part of that was uh, the pandemic was happening. So there wasn't a whole lot of interest in that. And, and you, know, you kind of touched on it early on where, you know, that new relationship energy can sort of be all consuming and, and it's sometimes a, is good ex- for us. It was a good opportunity to sort of, focus on that, figure out what that was going to be and how to navigate that. Polyamory was new for us at that point, even though we'd been open. Um, So there was, for us, it was sort of getting away some of the noise so we could really focus on what we were doing. And then since then, we've sort of been figuring that out, what that looks like moving forward and and how to do that as we've adjusted and, and figured things out. So that's sort of where it is today um, yeah. in, in a very, very quick nutshell version of it. Um, yeah, that's great. And how long have you each been with your respective partners? Um, about two and a half years. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I've always, I mean, that's why the podcast is called Polycurious. Mm-hmm. I've always been curious about that. Um yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it won't, it won't happen to me. Like maybe I'll find someone at some point. Right. Uh, but yeah, I can imagine that the transition from like being open to like actually getting serious, it's actually, it's so different from like being polyamorous is actually so different from being open. It's kind of like, it's kind of almost as different as being monogamous and being single, you know? Yeah, it's de- yeah, and what that looks like or what even those words mean to people are so different. And that's one of the things that we've learned is, you know, if, if you tell somebody you're polyamorous or even open, you ask 100 people, you probably get 100 different answers of what that means to them. And it's, it's a tr- it is tricky. And I think that's, for us, what we found is as we meet people, having the conversation that, you know, we actually just talked about that conversation of, hey, you're in an open relationship. What does that even mean to you? What kind of bandwidth do you have? What are you looking for? And just being really clear about those things up front, I've found per- particularly useful for myself. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's great that we're kind of showing people how to <laughs> have yeah. these conversations. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I, I want takes practice. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to talk Go for it. I, was, I would love to talk a, a bit more about your podcast, but I had another question before that, if if you're open to it. And, and that was really around relationship rules, agreements, boundaries, all of the, the sort of the different ways we create structure. And because I think there were some pieces that you talked about in there around right? If one of your partner says like, I don't want you going to meet somebody else's family, or I only want you to be out two nights a week. How, how have you been able to negotiate those agreements? So they feel good for you and for your partner. Um, I think yeah. that, that maybe I'll leave it there. Cause I have a couple of thoughts on it, but I'd love to hear your, your, Tell me, tell me your thoughts. Well, I think the, the, the high level thought is that's a great thing that you want, but that doesn't mean that's what I have to do. Right. So they might say, well, I'm only okay with you meeting somebody twice a week and it has to be whatever in this neighborhood. And you're like, okay, well, I'm, I don't really agree to those terms. Those are not things that feel good to me. Um, 
And so I think just for me, the important part around boundaries and even rules are that they're not dictated by one or the other person, that they're a collaborative conversation. But I'm, I'm curious how, how that works for you and how you've been able to navigate that. Yeah, again, I think that um, I've been lucky that my partner, like we don't really fight much, like we're kind of are good at coming to an agreement. So even the times when in the past when I was like, oh, but I wish I could just go on a date. Like, why is this so complicated? <laughs> I was still agreeing to not do that because mm -hmm. I understood. I was never like, I was never like, no, I don't agree with that rule. You know, I was like, okay, I get it. I agree with that rule. I just wish it was sooner. Like, you know, I got a little imp impatient. Um, I think today we don't have many rules. Um, it's always like a conversation. I know that he is expressed, um, you know, for example, that, uh, he wouldn't want me to go on a trip with someone or, um, you know, that like, we don't even, we used to have, you know, uh, once every month you can go on a date or once every two, two weeks. And now we don't really even do that. Like, it's more like, okay, how are we feeling? Do we feel like we've had enough you and I, uh, and then sometimes I don't go on dates for months. And then one week I, I go on two, two days or, or within the span of two weeks, I go on four, four or five dates, whatever it is, you know, and, and, and he's okay with that. It, it, we don't have any rules like that anymore. Yeah. I think that, I tend to, because I know how much he's worked on being good with me doing all of these things. I tend to, when, whenever he says no, which is not very often, I tend to not push back because, um, because I'm like, okay, well, he never says no. So if he says no, I want to respect that, you know? Um, we did have an instance, I think I mentioned that, you know, he doesn't want people over, at our home and I like, and I asked if I could bring someone and I kind of knew that the answer was no, but I hoped that the answer would be yes. And then he said no. And in the moment I was like wanting to push back and wanting to be like, but why? I mean, like, you're not going to be here. Like now we're going to have to go and get a hotel. Like, you know, this is ridiculous. Like, like he could just come, I can wash the sheets, you know, it doesn't matter. And then, you know, I did end up going to that, to the hotel. And then I was like, while I was at the hotel, I was like, I get, I get why said wouldn't want me to be doing these things <laughs> at home, you know? So I feel like whenever I've, I've been like, oh no, but it shouldn't be this way. Um, I come back to it and I'm like, actually said was right. I think, but I mean, that's my personal mm -hmm. uh, experience because again, said is just an incredible human but I, I can imagine that other people have a lot more of like a negotiation going on. And, and we do sometimes, you know, are like, okay, well you can go on this date, but then let's make sure we have a date. And, mm -hmm. you know, like we, we make adju adjustments, but, but it's very rare that we have different opinions of, on how things should, should go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that makes perfect sense. And your, your example of the, bringing people back. I think that's a great one because right there, that's a, that's a place where perhaps, right. He says, I don't, I don't want you bringing anybody back here. And maybe again, this didn't happen. Right. But you could land in a spot where you're like, 
it's actually really important for me to bring people back here, whatever. Maybe you, maybe you have an art studio and you love to show people your art and you're like, no, it's important for me that, that people that I'm connecting with see this aspect of my life. And then that may be one of those where you have to compromise or it, who knows, it could be one of those deal breaker type scenarios where you're like, well, I don't agree to the, the things you're asking for and you don't agree to the things I'm asking for. Can we compromise? Maybe, maybe not. And I, I, you know, it sounds like you and Seth have a, have found a way to do that. And I, all I was really offering was that there may be those instances where they are worth pushing back or they are something that you're not okay with, or one or the other of you aren't okay with. And those, those are the ones that can get really tricky in how you, how you find a way forward together. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, again, if I found someone that I wanted to be more serious with, mm -hmm. we, we would find that, you know, mm -hmm. like I would probably yeah. be like, well, but why can I not go on a trip with this person? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and it would be more of a negotiation, sure. but right now, because we are both in a point where we both feel good with how things are, as opposed to in the past where I was impatient and all of that. Like we don't have that much of that, but yeah, I think what's important is that it's always a conversation, right? Even if I don't get things that I want, at least I know I can bring them up and I know that he will think about them and consider them, even if mm -hmm. the answer is no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like he feels that same in the, in the reverse that if there's something he's wanting or needing, he can bring that up and he knows you'll consider it and it'll be a conversation. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most valuable, um, characteristics of Seth. He, he, he's very chill and whatever, but if he doesn't want as if he's uncomfortable with something, he will say it, you know? And I think that like, it's rare to find that like, it's either people who like, talk about everything they need all the time and people who don't say anything. Right. And I think that said is good. is really good at knowing, okay, what should I share and what shouldn't I share? So whenever he feel have felt jealous, he didn't put that on me. He wasn't like, Oh, you made me feel jealous. Cause you went on this date that, you know, I said that you could go on. Um, but then the day that he does feel like, okay, I need reassurance or mm -hmm. whatever, he will go and ask for that reassurance, you know? And I think that's like very, very difficult to, to find, but, um, mm. it's a skill. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so many of these things are learned and, and I imagine what it's look, what it looks like today. And you've, you've already kind of said this, what it looks like today, definitely not what it looked like when you and him first met and the way you've navigated this, many of the rules and boundaries and things that used to make maybe both of you uncomfortable don't as much anymore. And, and I think that's very, that's very common, I think, right. As we grow into the security and comfort of navigating something that we don't have that many models out there showing us how to do it. Yeah. And I think it was important to start more rigidly and then, and most couples that I've interviewed and that I coach, you know, have a similar thing. Like would you, you, we start with a structure and then you can just be free from there when, when everyone feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Well, I think that's maybe a great segue into telling us a little bit about your podcast or telling all of the listeners a little bit about your yes. podcast. Yes. We'd love to hear more. Sure. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting because I actually, finished the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not going to go back to it at some point, but right now I have transitioned into 
doing relationship coaching more seriously. And that's kind of where my focus is at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's 41 episodes out there already. So there's so much content that people can check out. Um, but yeah, in, in a way, my podcast was a way of putting out there the conversations that I was already having with my community. And, you know, I think looking back now, I'm sure that I will always see it like kind of like a window into again, again, this, um, open community in Brooklyn, uh, at this specific moment in time where we're becoming more, um, comfortable with having different partners and, and navigating that. Right. Um, and yeah, most of uh, the people I interview are my friends. A lot of them, my close friends, some of them have, um, you know, dynamics in which they play only together. Some of them are more poly. Um, I also have had, um, especially in the last season, like, you know, people from other non-monogamy podcasts, um, or just, um, coaches or therapists or relationship experts. So I've also, you know, uh, there's also more practical information in that sense, but my, my, my idea with it was just to get all the tips and like resources from people. So other people don't have to go through the same thing. Right. So, um, similarly to, to your podcast, I, we would talk about people's, uh, uh, histories with non-monogamy, but then we would also branch off, uh, on to, t to talk about, okay, what did you learn? Okay. That was the challenge, like both the good and the bad parts, but like, what did you learn? And you know, what do you wish you knew when you started your podcast? Basically, what would you tell to a polycurious person? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, there's, um, again, there's like 41 episodes there, uh, from, you know, different topics and yeah, there it's mostly couples, but I've also interviewed singles. Uh, I most more, more recently interviewed metamors and their, uh, common partner. And yeah, just hoping to put resources out there for people who are new and are like, how, how do we do this? And, and so they can see some examples and practical tips to do it right. And, yeah. you know, avoid, making the mistakes that my guests made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I love it. Thank you for all of that work that you have done. And I'm also curious, uh, since you are trying to do more of the relationship coaching, if you could just talk a minute about what you're, what you're doing with that. Yeah, for sure. I'm basically creating my own practice. I did take, um, a course that was more for couples therapy, but you know, I'm finding that, uh, even though I'm like using a lot of what I learned in that course, um, a lot of the couples that come to me already have a somewhat solid foundation. So we're not starting so, like in, in general, we're not starting so much with, um, kind of dealing with chronic conflict and then bickering all the time and et cetera, which is kind of the approach of the course I took. So I'm also combining that course with, um, Esther Perel's, um, interviews and he, ha she has like a platform for therapy. So I'm continuously mm -hmm. like training with that, reading books, um, taking other, uh, taking a course by Dr. Shanna, which was like a, a guest on my podcast, which is not for coaching. It's for people who are opening up, but kind of like bringing all of these different modalities to create my own practice. Um, but, but mostly I've been helping people who are opening up and who are struggling through that process. So the way I work is 
we talk about, you know, what, what each person hopes to get out and what each person wants. And, uh, we create a document with like bullet points of like what we need to achieve and we want to achieve. And we don't have like a deadline, right? Because we don't know how each process is going to take, but, um, we work on communication so they can communicate about those issues and how to get there. But we, we work from an agreement of this is the things that we need to work on. This is where we want to be. And I think a lot of my work has also been to like, just helping people understand that even if they're in different places and they want different things from non-monogamy, that is okay. And we can make that work because even if both people want to be non-monogamous is normally different ideas of what they want. And I think Mm -hmm. a a lot of couples feel pressure like, Oh no, I needs to be the same. And when they find that it's not the same, they kind of freak out. So a lot of it is like, okay, what, what do you want to get out, out of opening up? And what does your partner want to get out of opening up? If they're opening up, if, if they want to remain monogamous, that's fine. And I also work with monogamous couples more in, on the communication side. Uh, but so far I've gotten, uh, most of my clients, uh, through the podcast. So a lot of them are interested in the, uh, opening up side, but it's, it's, it's kind of helping them do a little bit of like what I did with Seth, right? Like he wanted a thing. I wanted a different thing. How do we make this work? How do we um, come to a middle point that feels right for us. And even if it's not immediately, how do we work towards that point and how do we go on incremental steps and start with the easiest thing, the less threatening thing, and then move up from there and communicate throughout the process. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, in a nutshell what I do, um, happy to talk more about it. If people listening are interested, they, you know, the intro session is free. Uh, so for like half an hour, I talk to people and I see not only where I might be able to help them, but also if like where I would fit, right? Because I think coaching just like therapy, it's important that there's some sort of like connection or understanding with the person. So yeah. So if anyone's interested, I'm sure you guys will, um, put the info information there, uh, or people mm-hmm. can write to me or, on Instagram at Polygears podcast. Um, but yeah, it's been really fulfilling for going from, having these conversations and talking and helping a lot of people through the podcast to having more personal, um, actionable, uh, conversations with people that actually result in tangible results in, in their lives, you know? So mm-hmm. it's been, yeah, it's been a good and unexpected transition in my life, but, uh, mm-hmm. very welcome. Yeah. And you said the best way people can find you is to message you through Instagram. Yeah, people can message me through Instagram at Polycurious Podcast or they can just write to my email, polycuriouspodcast at gmail.com. So, you know, easy to remember. We will have all that information in the show notes then. Uh, And yeah, thank you for that work and for describing it all too. I think it is very powerful and um, it's an exciting transition in your life too. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you, Fernanda, for coming on, for sharing your story with us for your vulnerability and a huge thank you to Seth as well for being here in spirit and letting us talk about <laughs> him without his presence. So um, just thank you both and, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Before Uh-oh. we let yeah. you go, I'm just going to say, is there anything else that you wanted to get out there? Well, I just wanted to say that uh, even though Seth is not 
non-monogamous he's really supportive when i told him i was gonna go on another podcast he was like i'm so proud of you he helps me with polycurious uh you know he's there he's like my cheerleader in in my exploration even though he doesn't want to hear about it so uh just wanted to add that since you mentioned Seth. uh but otherwise uh you know again this has been lovely and i feel honored to be part of of your podcast which was uh, you know part part of what inspired me to to do my podcast and also I think a pioneer in the space of talking about these things. So thank you. Thank you to you guys. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much as well. And I love what you said too there about Seth yeah. and, and the support. And I think, you know, I think there's, and I hope people listening hear that and, and hear. There's different ways to support your partner. Right. You don't you don't have to know which positions they were doing all night long in order to be supportive of them living the life that they want to live. And if you can find boundaries and barriers and ways to protect yourself so you can support your partner in exploring the life that they want, I think I think that and we had somebody who we talked to recently who said that they actually feel like in a monopoly partnership, um, where one person's monogamous, one person's not, that the person who is monogamous, in quotes, is actually the more non-monogamous one. And it's a bit of a slant in that, but it's around the idea that like, the work that Seth does to be able to support you and to love you and to be doing that when he's not necessarily doing it himself, like that's not an easy hurdle to clear. And I just think that's important for people to recognize. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to allow your partner to do that without you doing it, you have to internalize that the fact that they go off and do and have sex with other people or have dates with other people doesn't mean that they don't love you. So you have to have a non-monogamous mindset to Mm -hmm. be in a monopoly relationship as a monogamous person, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, thank you again, both of you, and have a wonderful afternoon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. This was great. And we're back. And we're back. Oh, I was trying to be a switch. (laughs) See, but you forget that people have listened to the whole episode in between now and then. So you don't think they forgot? Well, let's go back. But it was only like about three seconds before us. Let's go replay the entire intro so they'll get the joke. Yeah, I don't think we should do that either. No. So anyway, thank you, Fernanda. That's what we were trying to say here with our witty banter. Yes. Thank you so much, Fernanda, for all of the work that you do for coming on and sharing your story as well. We're excited to get the word out and hopefully send people your way. Yeah. Thank you. As Emma said, and... Next week, we Wait, have... Wait, a quick reminder. Oh, I'm sorry. Interruption again. Interruption again. A quick reminder to... You can go check out Fernanda's work and all the links on our website under the podcast show notes. Normalizingnomenogamy.com. Yes. And while you're there, again, reminder, you can find all of the things that we talked about in the intro, how to learn more about the community, how to sign up for the weekly support groups, how to sign up for the premium subscription, and all of the things that we have going on. Yes. Yes. Next week... We have an interview with Nikki and Michael. And it is, they're coming to us all the way around the world. They are. A couple of playwrights. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this this is a great interview. It's a fun time. Yes. All right, so we will see everybody in a week. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful uh, end of your July, I suppose. It is. It's my birthday month. That's true, end of your birthday month. I'll have to do it again next year. <laughs> Gotta wait 11 more months. I do. Okay, bye everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>